podcast, a journey through the world of classic country music with your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley. We will be covering all of the great topics in country music, from mama to prison, to dancing, to drinking, to guitar picking, to all the crazy deal with the devil, hockey talking stuff you do on Saturday night, and how you try to get it past your Lord on Sunday morning. So climb aboard the cart and let's go. Hello, Hayride listeners and fellow music lovers. This episode, we are talking about the ringleader of a gang of musicians that we talk about quite a lot on this series. That's the Nashville A-Team. The producer, the arranger, the man who kind of puts this all together and cranks out a lot of hit records for Patsy Cline and many others, we are talking about the one and only great Owen Bradley. And as much as Chris likes to remind listeners about the things I'm an expert on, this is definitely Chris territory here. He's driving and he's talking to Owen Bradley. Don't forget your sweetheart. of the border down Mexico way that's where they fell in love when stars above came out to play some morning when you wake up all alone just come on home to your blue Kentucky On January 7, 1998, an era came to an end. On this day, Owen Bradley, one of the most influential producers and talent scouts in country music history, passed away in Nashville, Tennessee at the age of 82. Owen left behind a legacy that included not only helping to form what became known as the Nashville Sound, but also making household names of such people as Patsy Cline. Seven lonely days. Brenda Lee. Loretta Lynn. Well, I was born to call daughter in a cabin on a hill in Butcher Holler. We were poor, but we had love. That's the 
Conway Twitty. Hello, darling. Nice to see you. It's been a long time. You're just as lovely as you used to be. Among many others. Now, he's born on October 21st of 1915 in Westmoreland, Tennessee. And at an early age, uh, Owen starts playing piano. As a teenager, he gets known for playing piano in nightclubs and roadhouses in the local area. And at the age of 20, his budding career in, mu- in the music industry was cemented when he got a gig as an arranger and musician for WSM Radio, uh, which is the home of the Grand Ole Opry. This eventually led to him becoming the station's musical director in 1942. And shortly after this, he actually showed that he can write songs as well when he co-writes the Roy Acuff song, Night Train to Memphis. Take that night train to Memphis, take that night train to Memphis, and when you arrive at the station, I'll be right there to meet you, I'll be right there to greet you, so don't turn down my invitation. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In 1947, seeking to branch out, Bradley takes a position as a music arranger and songwriter for Decca Records, and it's here, working under the direction of Paul Cohen, that Owen works on recording sessions for luminaries such as Kitty Wells uh, on her song, It Wasn't God Who Made Honky Tonk Angels. As I sit here tonight, the jukebox playing the tune about the wild side of life. As I listen to the words you are saying, it brings memories when I was a trusted wife. Red Foley? Who performs I Gotta Have My Baby Back. Can't sleep, can't eat, because I lost my sweet, sweet baby. I just gotta, I just gotta, I gotta have my baby back. And Ernest Tubb, who has the definitive version of Blue Christmas. Sorry, Elvis. I'll have a blue Christmas without you. I'll be so blue thinking about you. Decorations of red on a green Christmas tree. In 1954, Owen and his brother Harold, who's a member of the Nashville A-Team in his own right and a guitar player, fantastic guitar player, uh, they purchase a house at 804 16th Avenue in Nashville. And this begins what will become known as Music Row. Now, they tear out the first floor and they set up a recording studio in what had been the basement. So they build themselves this massive space by cutting out the floor of the house, setting up in the basement and having a two-story room essentially to work in this becomes known as studio a but they need more space because they also want to film music performances for television 
So the brothers purchase an old Quonset hut from a military surplus supplier, and they build what becomes officially known as Studio B, although it's often referred to just as the Quonset hut. From 1958 to 1962, this is the main uh, recording facility. Songs recorded here include most of Patsy Cline's hits. There's the three big obvious ones. I Fall to Pieces, Crazy, which Willie Nelson wrote, and then Walking After Midnight, the other big Patsy Cline well-known hit. But each time thinking that my love could hold you and as the skies turn gloomy night winds whisper to me i'm lonesome as i can be i go out walking after midnight out in the starlight just hoping you may be somewhere a-walking I'm Sorry by Brenda Lee. I'm sorry, so sorry that I was such a fool. I didn't know love could be so I Got a Hole in My Pocket by Little Jimmy Dickens. I got a hole in my pocket and I can't go to the fair. I got a hole in my pocket and I can't go to the fair. I'm blue cause I had a day to meet my baby there. Now, when it comes to discussing recording and recording techniques, uh, that's definitely Jim's area of expertise more than mine. Uh, for those who may have heard on one of the recent episodes, Jim has done a fair bit of field recording in his day. So this is definitely a hobby of his and something he knows a lot about. So Jim, why don't you give the listeners your thought on Owen Bradley's recording techniques, production techniques, et cetera? Well, what we have coming up in the mid fifties and really it extends into the mid-70s when you get the outlaw sound with Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and, and those folks. The Nashville sound, the techniques and the arrangements and the style of making country records that started in the mid-50s, you have Owen Bradley you have our old friend Chet Atkins, and you have another producer by the name of Don Law, whose claim to fame is he was the man who recorded those rare 
and few original Robert Johnson recordings. These three gentlemen are really the main producers in play here in Nashville in the mid-50s. And like a lot of things in music, one genre or one movement is kind of a response to another. When Chris and I were growing up in the 70s and first getting used to being radio listeners and sorting out the kind of music we liked, we were seeing punk rock and, and things like The Clash and The Talking Heads and, and Blondie, New Wave stuff as a response to how extravagant the music was of the early 70s. Think of Yes or Emerson, Lake and Palmer, that kind of uh, really orchestrated, posh, elaborate kind of thing. And by the end of the 70s, you were getting back to basics, punk rock. And then disco comes up as a response to that. And again, by the 80s, you have you know, in the late 80s, a move back to guitar music again, away from the synthesizers. You have R.E.M., you have U2, you have Steve Earle and Dwight Yoakam uh, coming to prominence at that point. The The issue is, is that one movement kind of responds and reacts to another. And in the 1940s in country music, you have... Western swing, you have Bob Wills going on in, in Western music. In country music, you have Honky Talk, you have Hank Williams, you have Lefty Frizzell, you have things that are more emotionally raw. But in terms of the recording, the instruments, the arrangements, you have fiddle, not violin. You have steel guitar, not strings. You have a lot of bendy, weepy, twangy guitar. You don't have that lush, polished kind of ballad sound that you start to get uh, with Patsy Cline or with Jim Reeves records, uh, two of the early you know, great stars that represent the Nashville sound. The Nashville sound is also referred to as countrypolitan. But yeah, through the 40s, you have Western Swing, which is raucous and strong beat, lots of soloing, lots of focus on, on the instrumentation, the guitar and the fiddle battles back and forth, the electric guitar and the steel guitar back and forth. So when you get to the mid-50s, culturally, the country is still recovering from World War II and the very recent end of the Korean conflict. You have the constant threat of nuclear war with the Soviet Union. Country music is not the only thing that gets a little fluffy in the mid-50s. Uh, certainly movies of the time, you know, you look at Frankie and Annette, there's nothing really rebellious or challenging there. Country music, like pop music, you have, you know, Dean Martin and Sinatra and that type of music is what is commercially successful during this era and in sinatra's case you know critically and artistically successful too he kind of defines a, a style of singing in popular music so the idea that it's just country music going soft all of a sudden because of owen bradley or because of chet atkins that doesn't really hold up art reflects the culture and the time that it exists in and that is where the United States was in the 1950s. 
that gets shaken up a bit with Elvis and the Sun Records movement and then Chuck Berry and the Chess Records movement. But for the mainstream, getting a little fluffy and losing the rough around the edges stuff, this is what's happening in Nashville. You don't have fiddle. You have violin all of a sudden. You have string section. You lose the steel guitar. You lose the hard playing. You lose that Hank Williams and a nasal voice. You get Patsy Cline. You get Jim Reeves. You get Bruners. And the music, some people get caught up in that, oh, well, the new stuff came along and it sucked and the older stuff, you know, that's all I want to hear. When this music comes along in the 1950s, some people just didn't want to make the change from honky-tonk to more lush production. But now this music is part of what people, you know, look back to and talk about this classic era. And it really is. You have Owen Bradley and Chet Atkins as the top producers. You have those two men and a sound engineer named John Volkman designing the RCA recording studio complex for Music Row in Nashville. When you have all these forces come together and they're taking into account the change in the instrumentation, you don't have a little honky-tonk band in the studio, you have strings, you have violin, you want to create separation, baffling, even if it's throwing blankets over a fake wall that you put up to keep instruments from bleeding onto each other's tracks, you're creating an entirely new sound. You are physically building recording studios, and the RCA studios in Nashville have become quite legendary, but they were built around a specific idea of how records were going to get made. And that's the Nashville sound or country politan or whatever you want to call it. There's some pop stuff in there that's a little too lush and a little too soft and nobody really talks about that much now. But then you have Billy Sherrill producing and shaping the early part of Tammy Wynette's career. Campbell, you have Charlie Pride, again, the classic Patsy Klein material. This is not a movement in country music to set aside or take lightly. It's just as real as Bob Wills. It's just as real as Hank Williams. It's fantastic music, and it's of its era, but that in no way should be a criticism of what Owen Bradley and his peers created in the mid-50s. Again, it lasts until the mid-70s, and then you get that back and forth again. You get the outlaw guys come in as a response to country politics. And back and forth we go. And you know what? As long as the music is this good...
lips so sweet and tender Like petals falling apart Speak once again of my love My own broken song Empty words I know Still live in my heart all alone You know, people probably did take quite a bit of a step back and say, I don't know what this is, but it certainly isn't country music. And that's something we've seen played out over and over again. You know, there are people who will say that the country music of today is terrible, who 20 years from now will talk about the country music of today as classic country music. Uh, I've seen that even within myself, because I can think of some artists that were around in the 80s or 90s where I didn't care for them. Yeah, I didn't know what that was, but it sure wasn't the country music I grew up listening to. You know, that ain't Willie, that ain't Waylon. But now I listen to that and I think of those artists as being right in our wheelhouse. Now his guitar's music, lonely, lonely streets that I call home. Yeah, my guitar's Now, in 1962, uh, the house and the Quonset hut are sold to Columbia. They continue to record superstars of many genres there over the years. But Owen goes on to build what was known as Bradley's Barn Studio on a farm outside of Nashville. The barn actually gives us the George Jones record named the Bradley Barn Sessions, which features duets such as Say It's Not You with Keith Richards. What they say didn't hurt me Until they mention her name Then slowly the tears overtook me Why Baby Why with Ricky Skaggs. And White Lightning with Mark Knopfler. Oh, White Lightning. Well, a G-Man came in the revenues too Searching for a place where he made his boot They were looking round right a bugging My baby gave a cooking <laughs> The barn burned to the ground in 1980 But was rebuilt in the same location In a recent episode, we talked about Sam Phillips as a talent scout, as a producer as a guy who ran a recording studio and, and pretty much was responsible for creating a sound and a movement in music in the mid-1950s. 
the exact same thing is true of Owen Bradley. He helps to organize a legendary group in the A-Team. The A-Team, let me see. Grady Martin, Bobby Moore, Buddy Harmon, uh, Pig Robbins, Ray Eddington. These were the guys that came in, shared their talents with me and many other artists, and boy, what talent did they have. He is the producer and the arranger who really sticks up for Patsy Cline in her early career and gets her going. Why can't I forget you and start my life anew instead of having sweet dreams about you? He creates a movement, a sound, a style around a recording studio and a group of musicians. It's the Nashville version of what Sam Phillips creates in Memphis. It's happening around the same time. It's, it's always nice when lightning strikes twice in a good way. In the early 80s, Bradley retired from producing uh, as a whole, though he did continue to work on selected projects, if something caught his fancy and he felt passionate enough about it, he continued to produce essentially up to his death. Today, you can visit Owen Bradley Park and see a statue of Owen sitting at a bronze piano at the north end of Music Row. I'll try one of those black beers. Ah, uh, the porter. Yes, sir. Sir, will you join me? Matter of fact, I'd like to buy everybody a drink. Well, folks, we have a perfect drink recipe for you for the Owen Bradley discussion, again, from the John Wayne Cocktail Guide. If you are recording in a barn in Tennessee, there's two things you know you're going to have around, sawdust and white whiskey or moonshine. And that's exactly what we have, courtesy of John Wayne this episode. Chris, pour one out for us, please. Sawdust. So why are we going to call it sawdust? Well, freshly grated nutmeg sits atop this winning moonshine cocktail. For this one, now one of the ingredients I'm about to give you for this one is pineapple juice. Make sure to use fresh pineapple or the drink will not have its full frothy texture. For this one, you're going to need one and a half ounces of white whiskey, colloquially known as moonshine two ounces of fresh pineapple juice, one ounce of fresh lime juice, a half ounce of simple syrup, a pineapple wedge for garnish, and freshly grated nutmeg for garnish. You're going to shake the ingredients with ice and strain into a rocks glass with an ice cube. Garnish with nutmeg. Mighty, mighty pleasing, happy corn squeezing. What lightning. As always, we'd like to remind you to email us at sixstringhayride at yahoo.com. Six is spelled out. You can also search us uh, on Facebook as Six String Hayride. Or what we'd really appreciate you doing is finding us on Patreon under Six String Hayride as well. So Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Six String Hayride. Again, six is spelled out. And of course, listeners, when you're emailing us, since we're giving you drink recipes on these mini rides, 
we'd really enjoy it if you'd give us your idea of how to create a six-string hayride drinking game. What phrase do we say too much or too often or just enough that you think should be your cue to drink and hopefully not die? Well, folks, thanks again for joining your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley on the Six String Hayride Classic Country Podcast. We are here for all of your classic country, rockabilly, early rock and roll, little gospel, little blues, a lot of excellent country music themed recipes. And basically, we are here to keep your musical circle rocking bopping and very much unbroken so thank you for sticking with us we will see you down the road real soon and again whether it's in your home in your community wherever it is you do your thing keep your circle unbroken stay well stay safe and we'll see you real soon oh can the circle be unbroken by and by lord by and by there's a bitter home awaiting in the sky lord in the sky one of these days and it won't be long i'll rejoin them in a song i'm gonna join the family circle at the throne no the circle won't be broken by and by, Lord, by and by. Remember, the Force will be with you always.